Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Musgrove, and today I'm joined by a special guest, Damien Spellman of the PA. He is the Northeast reporter for the PA, and he's been doing it for 24 years, which is a heck of a long time, Damien. It does mean you've been through the highs and lows, and you've been here for all of Mike Ashley's reign, and what seems like an eternity to get this takeover deal pushed through and completed. And that's where I want to start the takeover just explain to our listeners your thoughts on it and how you think the new one has done over the last couple of months. Well, I think it was a relief to everyone to get it done, even Mike Ashley, I think, because we've been talking about this since 2008 when he when he first put the club up for sale and it's been through so many incarnations and so many false starts and tyre kickers and, and goodness knows what else. But, yeah, I think um, it has come as a relief to everyone. I think the, the new owners have said all the right things um uh they're, they're trying to do things the right way by the by the sound of what they're saying um so hopefully it 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 can only be be positive going forward i mean of course there are issues you know with uh with with most of the money coming from saudi arabia everyone's aware of of the issues that entails and the human rights issues that won't that won't go away um so that's something that they will have to deal with on an ongoing basis, but um, I think in purely football terms, it's it's given fans the chance to enjoy supporting the club again, and I think that's something they've been looking forward to for a very long time. I mean, they picked up their first win on Saturday against Burnley, and it was like Newcastle had had won a cup. I was up in the yeah. gods. I forgot how yeah. long it takes you to actually get up to level seven, but it was worth it in the end. <laughs> and the atmosphere was absolutely brilliant. The videos from all of the corners, the whole ground was just rocking. Yeah. And we've seen today as well, the Sports Direct signs are getting taken down. I've just been up at St. James's Park. Uh, it's very cold and there's, there's there's little bits of activity. Unfortunately, the barrier is down, but you just have to t- take a quick look on social media to see how much it means to see these signs coming down. We saw the windows getting cleaned a couple of weeks ago and the reaction was, was out of this world. To other supporters of other clubs, Damien, it's going to sound and look bizarre and it's celebrating a win over Burnley. Uh, the you know celebration over the stains getting taken down and the windows being cleaned, but it kind of shows you just how low the bar was set under the previous ownership, and this is why Newcastle United fans are celebrating what are really, when you look at it, mini tiny wins. Absolutely right. It, it just illustrates the disenchantment and the and the the schism between the fans and the club. But I mean, it's it's no secret that that you know Mike Ashley spent much of his reign seemingly willfully antagonizing fans with with some of his actions um and yeah clearly as you said the bar was set very low it was purely survival there was some suggestion of let's go and win a cup but i'm i'm not entirely convinced there was there was ever a great deal of uh, of of backing for that uh, from within um but but yeah it's it's 
it's a football club has now become a football club again rather than a business, which is what it's been for the last 13, 14 years, uh, a business that's that's existed purely to exist. Um, the 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 signage coming down is is a huge thing. Um, you know that that was a huge bugbear for for fans that the way, you know, all that space was taken up with with the owner's own business when it could have been used to to bring in revenue from elsewhere. Um, but I think it, yeah, it's it's I suppose it's cosmetic from the outside, but but from the the point of view of Newcastle supporters, it it's sort of the final vestiges of of a, a pretty bleak era in the club's history that uh, that have been removed. Yeah, and it is kind of that final element of the chapter, isn't it? The sports direct coming down. We've had Nunes coming in and we've had the manager being replaced and the manager being appointed. And then we've eventually had the first win. And now the sign's coming down. You you get the sense that, that is the, that's the, the book closed now. That's the chapter closed. And the new era kind of starts now because everyone was, you know, when you were tweeting the pictures out and watching the videos from the weekend of, player, of players celebrating and fans celebrating, a lot of the comments were, imagine that video without the Sports Direct signs. And it kind of just emphasises just how much it means to see them coming down. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the disconnect was huge. And, you know, the fans, even when they were protesting, had always, you know, had the, the idea of support the team, not the regime. Um, but the, but this this break, yeah, it, it does it does draw the line under under the the uh, less savoury elements of what what have gone on over the last uh, 14 years. And it just, it does signal a new start. Yeah. You mentioned there the human rights and an important issue and it needs to be talked about. And it, what what's your view on how Newcastle United fans, you know, they're perceived to be targeted by certain groups and what have you about how they should have reacted to the fact their club has been taken over largely by a Saudi-backed consortium and, you know, they should have stood up certain suggestions. They should even reject the deal. How how would you view that from a kind of a Newcastle United point of view? How should the fans react? I think it's very difficult. Uh, on the one hand, you can understand the fans' excitement at <laughs> the potential of the club being back to where they believe it should be and where, where most people would believe it should be and the the prospect of, of huge investment in the squad. But at the same time, fans aren't stupid. They realise um, the issues that are involved. And let's face it, Newcastle aren't the only club that is backed by, um, that is owned by regime that has perhaps less whiter than white uh, reputation. Um, but I think, to an extent, fans are damned if they do and damned if they don't. I saw criticism of fan, you know, the the flag display on Saturday, which I thought was excellent. But they were being criticised for that. If they'd done nothing, they would be criticised as well. So, in some respects, they can't really win. I think, you know, there are, there are issues there which need to be raised, uh, and people are raising them. Um, but to a certain extent, what what more than what more can fans do than than show their support for the things that you know the issues that are being raised that the support for people who are working to address the issues that are being raised yeah the flag display by war flags was superior it was supporting united with pride and the the rainbow laces campaign it was really good to see and it is interesting because i i'm of the belief you know fans are largely 
powerless in this situation. They don't choose who owns their club. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you don't just brush all these issues under the carpet. It's very important that, you know, fans kind of do talk about them, do debate them, do raise them, because if you just ignore them, then that's where the criticism will kind of go up a level. And I think it is important, as we've seen, you know, fans saying they disagree with this and that, but at the end of the day, they can't really change too much. But as long as the conversation keeps happening, I think that really is the, the key point. Um, in terms of the attention, Damien, because, we, you know, up here, Newcastle is everything to to fans. It dic- the result dictates what happens in the week. People will be going in today absolutely buzzing because Newcastle won their first game over the weekend. But now with the ownership, the fact that they are the richest group in the Premier League and one of the richest groups in the world, it has gone up on a level. And it's something not only fans, but journalists who cover Newcastle are going to have to get used to, that the attention is going to be something like we've never experienced before. Yeah, and I think we we are sometimes guilty in the northeast because we love our football so much of of thinking everyone is cares about their football club as much as people do up here, and and think our clubs are import, as important as as we think they are. And unfortunately, I think elsewhere in the country, the profile of our clubs has dwindled over the years. I mean, you know, back in the entertainers' days, Newcastle were famously everyone's second favorite club. That that sort of thing, and the, the profile has has reduced. Um, but yeah, I think you're right, and I, I think now it's on an international scale that you know the, the Newcastle will have new fans in certainly in the Middle East and 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 throughout the world with a with a much higher profile, um, and that's great for the club. It's great for the club, but then you've got to live up to that, um, which is which is always the the difficult thing. But it's uh, it's going to be an interesting ride, I would say. Yeah, most certainly. And in terms of, you know, the ownership, Manor Stavely, Jamie Rubin and the PIF, you know, they've got a lot to learn. I think that's, and I think everyone agrees with that, you know, they're relatively inexperienced in running a football club and then running at the level and attention, as we've said, that Newcastle is going to receive and is receiving. How important do you think getting a director of football into the mix to, to maybe lead the way is for Newcastle? I think it's massive. I think it's massive for all clubs that there are too many clubs that don't have enough football expertise and intelligence at, at the very, very top. Um, I think if you, if you look down the road at Sunderland, well, Niall Quinn was involved at Sunderland there. There was a man who was steeped in the game, knew people, could walk into any um, boardroom in the in the country or in the world and, and be known. And I think it's it's so important to have that level of, of experience, contacts, uh, know how um, I, I think that's vital for for a, particularly a, a club with a new ownership, where where you know the the existing structure is is to be brushed away or has been brushed away. I think yeah, that's that's a key appointment, um, and and the sooner the better. But it has to be the right appointment as well, of course, because you know there are some some managers or head coaches who find it difficult working with a sporting director or a director of football, that, that relationship has got to be absolutely uh, watertight, I think. Um, and I think hence, hence the reason Newcastle, the new owners are, are taking such, such a time to, to talk to different people, to, to examine different ideas and, and to try to get the decision right first time. 
Yeah, because it's not just the element of obviously it's getting the decision right, but you have the element that Newcastle are probably going to be still in the relegation zone come January. So that presents different challenges to the kind of players you can attract, the kind of players who want to come to Newcastle and face that challenge of securing survival because January is going to be key and it's certainly going to be interesting given the reaction of the other Premier League sides. Are they going to be a bit reluctant to sell their players to Newcastle has been reported elsewhere and just how Newcastle do go about attracting players and trying to sell this project, especially if they are still in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, th- I think you've got the added issue as well of you need players who can can come in and hit the ground straight away. You can't have anybody taking three months getting used to it. So you would think you would need players with Premier League experience. I think they've also got to accept that the prices will be inflated by 20 25% simply because of the fact that it's Newcastle. Um, and then... You know, I know a couple of ex-players have, have got some stick for this in the last couple of weeks, but you do have to attract players to the northeast. There is perhaps a premium in terms of, of wages to get some people up here. Um, and we we don't understand why that is because we live here and we know it's brilliant. Um, but there is a perception else from elsewhere that certainly overseas players want to be in and around the bright lights. Um, and we can all cite a dozen players who've come to Newcastle or, or, you know, the North anyway, and, and love it to bits, you know, look at, look at Les Ferdinand and Warren Barton and Rob Lee. There's a catalogue of players who've come to Newcastle and it's been the best part of the career. Um, but you have to get through those barriers. Um, and I think you're right as well, that there will be other Premier League clubs that will not want to loan or sell players to Newcastle. Um but they're the barriers they've got to they've got to get over. Is it a case as well you need a different type of player, do you think, to get you out of a relegation battle than maybe you would if you were mid-table and you were looking to break in that top 10? Because I get the feeling that the project could really start if Newcastle were mid-table and weren't in danger. But with them being in the relegation zone, I'm, mm. I do feel like you need a different kind of player who can just, you know, got that bit of grit and determination about them. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying, but I think you'd want that in a player anyway. Um, but I, I do understand what, what you're saying. There are some players who wouldn't fancy the fight, you know, wouldn't fancy scrapping for five months to keep a club up. But if you, you know, if you look, you look at the team on Saturday, I mean, I thought that was probably the weakest of the three home performances under Eddie Howe yet. But they scrapped their way and fought and put their bodies on the line. And that's exactly what you want. And, the, you know, the, you would say there are, you would want to improve the squad. You would want to bring better players, players with more quality. But I think if you got the same level of commitment and determination as as the the eleven fourteen men who who did duty on on Saturday, I think that that's going to be a baseline um, as well. But but yeah yeah, um, I think you're right. Uh, you have to shop in the correct correct market. There's there's no point going to try and sign Lionel Messi and you know Neymar. You know, I'm joking there, but you know, you 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 need you need to be shopping at the right level, but you need to be ticking all those boxes as well. It's interesting, James Tarkovsky and Ben Mee are some of the players linked, and we saw Tarkovsky uh, on Saturday again against Burnley. But you have also then have the other added element: will sides like Burnley, who will be battling for safety alongside Newcastle, sell their best players to a, a relegation rival or safety rival? Or will money talk? Do you think? Well, that's 
that's the big question. I mean, you know, it's it's no secret that Burnley operate on very tight budgets. If if they were to have money thrown at them, every player has his price. Now, I suppose you've got to weigh up whether taking X million pounds for Ben May or Tarkovsky um, and risking the £120 million being in the Premier League next season uh, is worth to you, is, is, is worth a gamble. Um, knowing Sean Dyche, not, not that I do know him particularly well, but knowing Sean Dyche, is, as we all do from outside, he's not one again, not going to want to let any of his better, better players go. And certainly, even if money spoke, he'd want to be able to replace them first. So I don't... It's I would say it's unlikely that you're going to be able to sign a, a James Tarkovsky on January the 1st. Um, you know, even if they, were, uh, they are prepared to let him go, I think you might be going until the back end of the month until they've, they've got a replacement um, lined up. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, that's that's a big question. That for, for a club like Burnley, which operates on a small club and a limited budget, taking out one of their key players... You know, could could make a massive difference to them. So that's that's a huge situation for them to have to weigh up. Yeah, yeah, it's a big gamble. You mentioned there January the first. We'd like to think that any major improvements would come in the first week or so, where we've been used to under the previous ownership. You know, waiting right until the end in both summer and winter, and then maybe not even signing anyone. And that's been a big downfall. Where is there's a lot of hope that as soon as the January transfer windows are open, we'll see major rivals coming in the first couple of days, which is really important that they can they can bet in because goodness knows how cut drift Newcastle might be after the December running. And I know we've we've just seen them win and everything's positive, but we have to face it that December is a is a horrendous month for Newcastle. Oh it's hideous. It's hideous. Um but it's a notoriously difficult transfer window. Um for that precise reason that teams generally don't want to sell good players. Um and they certainly don't want to let them go on January the 1st uh, and and not before they've got a replacement in line. I think when you look at it, I think to me it seems more likely that they might be able to sign players on initial loans with with permanent deals written into the, the contracts. But generally, you would say people who were loaned out in January are loaned out for a reason. You know, they're, they're not in their team for a reason and are they the players you want? Are they the players who are going to dig you out of a hole? Um, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. But um, yeah, it's it's a tough one. It's a tough one. You've 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 got to get it right. And I, th- I think the players that have been mentioned, the Kieran Trippiers, the the Ben Mays, the Tarkovsky, they're experienced players who know the division. Um, so you would think that would eliminate large elements of the risk, but. It's whether you can. It's whether you can do the deals, um, and I think ideally they would like to do them on on January the first, absolutely, um, and certainly in the in the first week or so. Because, as you rightly say, the next four games are awful, and if you don't pick up much from those four games, you really want to be you really want to be firing on on all sorry on all cylinders in January to uh, to make up any lost ground. Looking at the team, Damien, where do you think Newcastle need to strengthen? If you could pick, you know, three or four uh, key positions where you think Eddie Howe will look to to bring in players in January. I, I think we all know where they are. I think 
central defence. Um, I think there's certainly a lack of pace there, no lack of commitment or, or fight. But um, I think you would look at at least one fullback. Although Jamal Lewis has performed very well as as has Javier Manquillo. But, but I was just thinking about this earlier. Javier Manquillo was brought in by Rafa because he was cheap and he could play left or right, um, and he's actually done very well when he's played recently. Um, but I think you would you'd be wanting to strengthen at fullback. Um, I think you would want to add a bit of pace in midfield because Joe Willock aside, it's it's pretty one dimensional. You know, like John Joe Shelby, I like Sean Long, Longstaff. They give different things to the game, but they don't boast pace. And I think you would want the the priority. Um, for me, would be another goal scorer because if anything happens to Callum Wilson, for all St Maximin, you know, is a, a real box of tricks. Almiron is is too. Uh, Joe Linton's play, having his best spell at the club. The one guaranteed goal scorer is Callum Wilson, and, and it, when it when he hasn't been fit in the last eighteen months, Newcastle have really struggled. Yeah, most certainly. I think everyone would like to see a striker come in. Just add that bit of competition as well. I mean, for all you've got Dwight Gale and he has got his fans and, you know, you put a chance in the six-yard box, he's likely to score. You would like to see a, a striker of Callum Wilson's talent come in, ability and, you know, push him for that place. In terms of Eddie Howe, then, Dim, have you been uh, impressed by what you've seen so far? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we've all seen what Eddie Howe did at, at uh, Bournemouth and he did a brilliant job, but it's a completely different challenge at Newcastle. You know, with with the greatest respect to Bournemouth, it's a, it's a smaller club with, with uh, you know, its ambitions would be commensurate with, with their, their um, you know, the, the, the crowd and, 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 um, and their finances. Um, but I think he's, again, he's come in and he's, he's said all the right things. He's not daft. He knows it's a major, major challenge. Um, but he's also pretty optimistic. And I think you've seen an uplift as, as quite often happens when a new manager comes in. But in all honesty, he's got the same problems that Steve Bruce had and the same problems that Rafa had in, in that the squad is what it is. Um, there are holes in the squad. Uh, there are deficiencies in the squad and there are also strengths in the squad. And it's about maximising the strengths while at the same time trying to 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 cover some of the de- deficiencies. And I mean, Rafa often talked about his short blanket and that blanket still is short. Um, it's about, as I think I said to Eddie on, on Friday, how, how do you stretch that blanket or, or where do you find a bigger blanket? You know, it's... Um, that's that's the dilemma, and that's one he'll hope to address in January, um, because I think you, you can see from I just think for example the Brentford game illustrated it perfectly. Newcastle were great going forward, scored goals, but they were left themselves very open at the back and were punished for it. Now they got away with it on Saturday. I didn't think they played as well as I had done against Brentford or Norwich, but they defended for their lives and they got a bit of look at the other end and and your, your guaranteed goal scorer sticks one away with with, with great aplomb and uh, they're going to need a bit more of that. Whatever else they do, the hard work, the January um, investment, the, the coaching staff, they're going to need a bit of luck as well. And um, they've, they've had some bad luck this season, but they had a, a bit of a slice of good fortune on Saturday and it, it went in their favour. 
Yeah, I mean, the defence is, is the real issue. Our, our listeners here know that I've banged on this drum many, many times over the last few weeks and months, and it's, you know, it's just pointing out the obvious. But it is a reflection of the lack of investment under Mike Ashley, really. I mean, Fabian Cher was the last centre-back to come in in, what, August 2018, I think it was. You've still got Lascelles and Kieran Clark, who were in the championship side. You've got Fernandez, who is, what, 32, 33. Yep. You know, all decent defenders, but... It, it, it's amazing that Newcastle have still largely got a squad made up of players that were in that championship win inside, a brilliant championship win inside five, six years later. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I wouldn't criticize any of those players. They've all been great servants to, to Newcastle over the years. Um, but, but you've got to build your team. You've got to build your squad and you've, you've got to have competition. Um, I think I think Paul Dummett's been a miss, but again, he's been around for for a long time, um, and his his injuries are a concern. He's I mean he's he's missed most of the last two seasons. He's been very very unfortunate, um, but but yeah, it it needs to be freshened up. And I think you know Steve Bruce was very candid about about this in his time. He couldn't he didn't think he could afford to play a back four. He'd rather have played a back four, but he didn't think he. Could and I, and I think he's probably right. Um, and Rafa, in his time, played two holding midfielders to protect that back four or the, the back five. Um, so that that tells you where successive managers have, have felt the issues are. Um, and again, that's not a crit- criticism of any individual player. They've all done, they've all given sterling service to the club. But I think it does it does need strengthening. I don't think there's any doubt about that. In terms of the defence, I think for me, Manquillo and Lewis are the ones who have to stick in the side going going forward. I've, I've been really impressed the last couple of games. They just give that little bit more of a defensive strength to or defensive balance to the to the side than Richie or Murphy do. I mean, they're really good going forward, but they'll be the first to admit they're not really defenders. But it's it, it's it's the centre backs which is creating the most debate. Everyone thought Fernandez would be starting against Burnley. Uh, how stuck with Lascelles, uh, stuck with Cher and brought Lascelles back in. What are your thoughts on that centre back? I mean, is is it Cher and Lascelles going forward? Do you think, or do you think Fernandez has done enough to to win his place on the side? I thought Eddie Howe made a telling comment on Friday when he was asked about the central defenders, and he said, uh, or he was asked about people coming back and Lascelles coming back from injury, and he said we need his pace. Um, and I think I suspect that's why he got the nod, as well as the fact that whatever you think about Jamal Lascelles as a as a defender, whatever his strengths are, he's, he's been a very good captain for Newcastle over there. He's a good organizer, and I think that played a part in in that. But yeah, I mean, I personally think Fernandez is probably the most accomplished of Newcastle's central defenders. Um, I think the rest have all got things to recommend them. Uh, share very good on the ball. I think sometimes he gets pulled out of position and he's he's got a horror tackle in him. Um, but, you know, Kieran Clark has been very decent for Newcastle, but his decision against uh, Norwich was was a poor one and that, that did him no favours. Um, so I think it's it's not a toss up, um, but I think um, you could pair any any two or any any three of them. Um, there's not a vast amount to choose between them. And I, again, that's not meant as a criticism, um, but I think there's no there's no 
outstanding candidate who you would say his his name would be on the team sheet every week. And and I know there's been a lot of debate about Fernandes and, and I understand that. But as you said, he's he's not the youngest. Um but he has performed very well for Newcastle when he's been there. But but you can make a case, I think, for each of them. Um and that's that's the decision that successive managers have had to to take for the last as you say, four or five years since since uh, Fabian Scher came in. Fernandez came off the bench against Burnley. I thought he really did make an impact when yeah. Castle really had their backs to the wall. And Lascelles, I thought, did really well again. I think the game suited him because of the kind of the, the challenge it was. It'll be different against the likes of Leicester and the other teams coming up when the ball can be kind of played around him or you know to, to the feet of the striker or the defender, the striker's running off. And whereas you've got a bit more of a physical challenge with the likes of of Wood, and I thought he handled it very well. Going yeah, into yeah. going in that midfield, Damien, you know, Shelby's been a totally different player. We're seeing Joe Linton kind of a I've seen him described as a midfielder and force the other day. He's a totally different player. Loads of plaudits for them too. What's your view on on Joe Willick? I felt in the last couple of games we've seen glimpses of why Newcastle paid so much money for him. There was a, an instance against Burnley where he carried the ball a, a, a good distance and it just his decision making let let him down again. The same against Norwich, and I'm just wondering what what do you think Eddie Howe has to do to get the best out of him because there's clearly a very talented player in there. He's young. He's moved up from London. It's a big it's a big thing to do. Big price tag probably wasn't helped by the statement from the previous ownership in the in the summer when they kind of said we spent all our money on him. No pressure, Joe. How does Eddie Howe get the best out of him? Well, that's that's a very good question. I mean. Is, is unfortunately he made a rod for his own back by having a, a papist sissy, you know, he was he was brilliant. Like the second half of last season, I mean, he couldn't stop scoring, and you know, fair play to the kid. Uh, and but I think you've got to remember he didn't have any pre-season at all because of humming and hawing over whether he's coming to Newcastle or not. Um, he was never he was never going to be able to sustain that level of scoring in seven eight games on the trot, whatever it was. Um, and I think. He did suffer. I, I, I think uh, we we saw a shadow of the Joe Willock we saw last season in the first 10, 12 games. But I think you're right, the last couple of games, and in particular on Saturday, we saw more of of what we saw last season. Now, I know he, he, he sort of played a, in a deeper role to, a, to an extent, um, but that energy and that pace are what Newcastle need from him. And, and I, you saw that on Saturday, I think, and it looked like Howard giving him his head to a certain extent. He had defensive duties to perform, but when Newcastle were attacking, he had he had the freedom to get up there and, and, and join in. Um and yeah, I th- I think it will come again because there's there's no doubt the kids the kids got a lot to offer. Um because we saw that last season and his ability to get into the box late is what what Newcastle have have missed really, you know, to, to, to get in behind the first wave. Uh, is what Newcastle have, have missed in for several years. Um, so you would you would hope Eddie Howe can can get the confidence back more than anything. I think just to to believe you know he he can get up there and, and make an impact again. Uh, and that's that is going to be difficult if he's going to have to play his part in a shape as well. Um, but he's got to be able to pick and choose his moments, and I think that's that's what they'll be they'll be working on when it, when he should go, when he shouldn't. 
um, because there's no doubt when he gets up there, he, he can make an impact when he uh, when he gets gets into the box. And we've seen how work is magic, as I mentioned on Shelby and Joe Linton. I mean, we'll start with Shelby first of all. We always knew there was a player in there. The way he can pass the ball, few other footballers in the Premier League can pass a ball like John Joe Shelby. It was just other elements of his game which brought up questions. But the previous few games, he's been absolutely brilliant. Even against Arsenal, I thought I thought he had a, a, a very decent game. Why do you think he suddenly stepped up? Is it the arm around the shoulder from how do you think? Well, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think I think he relishes the responsibility, uh, and he loves that sort of quarterback role that that he's given. But he needs. The team needs to be set up around him for him to do that because it's the easiest thing in the world to say it all comes through Shelby, so the opposition just stick a man on, on John Joe. And if he hasn't got the time and space, there's no way he can ping a ball 50 yards to feet if there's a big, hairy midfielder full in his face. Um, so I think you've, you've got to have the setup right. You've got to protect him. You've, you've got to give him that pocket to do what he does. But the, we, everybody knows from his from his Swansea Liverpool, everyone knows that he's a talented footballer. I mean, it's not so long ago since Newcastle fans were, were shouting for him to be in the England squad. Um, and, you know, I, I could see why, because he's a very, very good footballer. But, um, but he needs... He needs the right environment in, in, in which to show that. And I do feel a bit sorry for him because people talk about him not running and not tackle, tackling back. And do you know what? I think he does do that. It's not his strength. Um, it's it's not what he's best at. And I would imagine it's not what he particularly wants to do. But he, I, I think he puts a shift in. Um, it's just it, he's one of these. But I always remember people going on about Shola Amiobi and how, how he never sprinted. Well, Shola couldn't move his legs that quickly. They were so long. You know, his his, spin, his sprint looked like Steve Cram in a fifteen hundred. He was, uh, and I, th- I think John Joe's a, a bit like that. You know, he's 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 giving everything, um, and I think when it when it comes off, it looks brilliant. When it doesn't, you know, if he if he knocks a ball seventy yards into touch or or you know puts it behind a player, it looks awful. Uh, but when it comes off, you can you can see the value, and, and you can see a pass. You can, you know that 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 vision is 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 a wonderful skill, and he's got the execution to match it. But it has to be the right environment. And Mr. Joe Linton, arguably the best player over the previous few weeks under Eddie Howe. What a transformation! Oh, well, do you know I'm so pleased for the kid because he's coming. He didn't speak the language. He's coming for a massive fee. Nobody over here really had heard of him, um, and he had he's had a really difficult couple of years. Um, but you could never fault his effort. He's always tried, whether it's come off or not, and more often than not, it hasn't. He's always tried. His teammates love him. You know, Steve Bruce had a lot of time for him. Eddie Howe clearly has a lot of time for him, and it's working for him. And it's it's great to see him getting a bit of appreciation because. There must be more of a player in him than we've seen, you know, since his arrival. Um, he, I think the thing was he, he's come in ostensibly as a as a number nine, and he's not. He's clearly not a number nine, but he's got ability, um, and he's got good feet, and he's got character. Um, 
and he's got determination and he's got a bit of pace. And um, I think we've seen in the last few games that there is much more to come from Joe Linton. Now, if Eddie Howe can get that out of him and he can become the player Newcastle thought they'd bought, that would be a massive bonus. And it's a cliche, but it would be like like a new signing um, because we clearly haven't seen the best of, of what he can what he can offer uh, yet. But there are signs that it's coming. What I really liked against Burnley on Saturday was towards the end and he, he went to win the ball. It was close to Newcastle's box they were defending. And it looked like he maybe got a little bit of a kick on the back of the leg from a Burnley player. And he turned around and he shoved him. And he was maybe a little bit fortunate because he did raise his hands. Mm. But my first instinct when the referee didn't send them off was getting like that's exactly what we want to see because he's just shown that emotion and that passion and that mm-hmm. anger which I, f- I feel has been lacking from his game and of course you don't want players to go around thumping other players but it's mm-hmm. the point that he was just showing a bit of passion where I don't think that was in his game a few months ago and we've seen it with the tackles that now you know he's flying in he's he's, he's using his strength he's barging players out of the way and, and the other elements of his game where he's directing his own teammates where to go which I think people have noticed and have applauded we're just seeing a totally different player on the ball, off the ball, emotion-wise, and it's. It, I think it's. It is proven really beneficial for Newcastle. Mm-hmm. And he's a big lump of lad as well. So if he starts putting himself about, he, he'll, he'll ruffle some feathers. But one of the things I thought uh, w- was interesting as well was I think it might might have been the club social media put out a little video of him, and he was speaking English, um, and I think that would be a massive help to him. Um, because he, you know, he did come over without without the language, and if he's able to communicate with his teammates, he's going to feel more part of it. Um, and certainly, the the you know the sort of adulation he's had from the from the terraces in the in the last couple of weeks that can only help the lad because he's he's taken so much stick. Um, it, it'll, he'll feel ten feet tall if he can if he can keep that going and become a bit of a cult hero. Um, mm. And, you know, he's not the first of other players have come in and had difficult times. I was thinking the other day about, remember Alessandro Pistoni when he came in, the, the Italian fullback, and he had an awful time and he really struggled to get, get to the pace of it. And But but in the end, he got there and people loved him. Um, and he did he did really well for Newcastle before he, he moved on to uh, to Everton. And it, sometimes it takes time, you know, even a couple of years. It was great to see or to hear the chants as well for Joe Linton. He's Brazilian, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the first time I've heard a chant for Joe Linton. And I'm hoping someone's pointed out to him. I think with the way the club tweeted out that video, as you mentioned there, someone's probably pointing out that there was a chant or two for him. And that will just be brilliant, you know, for him. Because like you say, he's had a tough time. And to hear his name being chanted in a positive manner by 52,000 fans really will put a bit of warmth into him. On to... Alan St. Maxman and Callum Wilson, clearly the two men that are going to fire Newcastle United to safety. One's going to supply the ball, the other one's going to put it in the back of the net. Just how crucial are these two to Newcastle? Oh, huge, huge. Like I say, wrap the pair of them in cotton wool because without them, pre-January, there's you know, there's there's not a lot of threat without them, I I would say. I mean, I feel I feel a bit sorry for St. Maximum because He's he, every time he looks up, there are two players staring at him. Um, but that should leave space for other people. But just the pace he injects into the game, uh, and the power is he, a joy to watch. 
Um, and you would want a bit more end result, but he terrifies people. And uh, that's that's a massive weapon for Newcastle. Um, and you could see on, I, I think he's he's had a, a difficult few weeks, actually. I don't think he's had the impact on games that he would hope. But I think second half in particular on, on Saturday, he really started to run at Burnley and had them backpedalling. And, um, you know, that's... That must be a joy for as a defender. If if you're you feeling a bit under the caution, and you see him pick up the ball seventy yards from goal and then set off taking people in his wake, that that must be a real joy. And then Callum Wilson. I mean, to score six goals in a struggling team by this point is a pretty good return. Um, and I think actually he, by his standards, would have been perhaps disappointed with his. His, you know, his form this season to an extent. Um, I, I don't think he's perhaps been as influential, influential at times this season as he was last. But I thought he put in a real shift on Saturday as well and held it up and laid it off and and got into dangerous areas. Um, and yeah, I mean, he is a proven goal scorer, and um, you wouldn't say twenty goals is beyond him this season. Um, which in a team that has struggled in the initial months would be a great return for him. It's easy to forget. I mean, that goal on Saturday against Burnley, it wasn't an easy finish at all. No. To, you've got the defender on the line, you've got the keeper yeah. scrolling in front of you. He's got a turn and twist. I mean, it's a really, really good finish. Yeah. I thought the position he took up was really good as well. You know, he was, he was anticipating that the ball would come out of... Well, not necessarily out of Pope's hands, but out of that situation. And he was there ready to pounce. And yeah, his he's first touch, you think, oh, was he taking that a bit wide? But the finish, I mean, that's that's an expert finish. There's no, uh, there's no doubt about that. And uh, as you say, it would have been very easy to pick out the defender on the line, but he didn't give him a chance. And what else well, I liked as well was he very nearly set up Almiron for a goal. Yeah. And it's nice to see that bit of his play coming in as well. And it's interesting because a lot of people or talking about Almiron and not having that end product. I thought he played really well. I thought he was one of the standout men on, on Saturday. I thought it was overall a very good team performance, but I did think Miggy, for me, stood out. He, you know, he had a couple of really good chances, one clear off the line, the, the save as well from, from Pope. And it's going to be interesting going forward to whether he sticks in the side, does Ryan Fraser come back in? But with the way him and Wilson were working and obviously Miggy gets up and down the pitch, I'm, I, I think he, he did his chances no harm to be in the starting 11 come Leicester. Yeah, I, I'm a fan. I, I like him because his work rate is just unbelievable. Uh, and he gets kicked from pillar to post. But but like St. Maximin, he's so fast with the ball at his feet. And that's that's a rare quality or, or, or a quality that you pay a lot, a lot of money for these days because he can transform uh, defence into attack in, in in a matter of seconds. And and you're right, you would, you would like... Uh, more end product but as you say Saturday hit the target Pope made a, a fingertip save from another one um, so he could quite easily have come away with a goal on, on Saturday but yes I, I thought that was his best performance for some time I think the, the problem you have with Almiron is unfortunately because his international commitments take him so far and it's you know he gets back so late on a Friday that he's he's always going to miss a proportion of games simply because he's he's fatigued, um, and that's that's a bit of a shame. But I suppose you uh, you have to you know that when you buy him, so that's that's something you've got to got to factor in. And just to finish up, then the result on Saturday, Newcastle's first win 
of the season. Just how important was it to get those three points in the bag? Oh, massive, massive. Not just for for confidence, but to, you know to to reduce that gap to three points. When when you look, there's already a a sort of break line in the, in the, starting to form in the table. You know, with 14, 15, 16 points up in that area. You don't want to be getting more than six points off the pace, even at this stage of the uh, of the season. So, um, yeah, I thought I think. Given the disappointment of the Norwich game, we, you know there were so many positives to take from it. With with ten men, they could quite easily have lost that game, uh, and didn't and didn't deserve to lose it at all. I mean, they were unfortunate not to win it. Um, but it was so important that you know even on a day when they didn't play as well as the, well as they have, that they came away with the points. That you know that training this week will be. A much a much happier place for all that the atmosphere seems fantastic anyway but to know you've you know you, you, you get into a losing habit but I think you can sometimes forget how to win um but they remembered how to win on Saturday and you wouldn't want to see them winning like that every week well I don't know I don't suppose Newcastle fans would care if they if they won like that every week but you want you want to make it easier for yourselves um and that's that's not going to be the case over the next four games because they've got some really tough fixtures. But I think if they can keep that positivity, you know, if you you can go to Leicester and come away with something, um, that that really would start to to build the confidence um, and and increase belief that they can get them out of, can get themselves out of this hole that they're in. Yeah, most certainly. I mean, the atmosphere on Saturday within the stands, as we've mentioned, was absolutely fantastic. And it was against Norwich as well. And it's a cliche, that 12th man, but they were, the fans really helped them get over the line. And then leaving the stadium, the buzz and the excitement was brilliant. There's videos in, in various bars in Newcastle, yeah, fans singing and just enjoying their night. And this week will be really good as well for people, like I mentioned earlier, going into work around town. It's just a different atmosphere around the club as a whole. And it's, it's a bit strange as well, considering... When Newcastle United are in the league, I mean, the past two games, Damien, I don't know about you, but it's been a long time since I've experienced an atmosphere like that. Mm-hmm. But given Newcastle hadn't won a game and given them were bottom of the league, it, it, it's a bit surreal. Yeah, it is. But do you know what? I think, again, in the media, we're a bit guilty sometimes of, uh, of taking social media as a barometer and of people, you know, on there talking about various different issues and uh, what have you. At the end of the day, I think, most fans want to meet the mates on a Saturday, have a pint, go to the game, see the team win, have a pint on the way home, and it makes the weekend. And, and you know, it's as simple as that. And and seeing your team, giving it a go, um, getting a result, that's that's all you ask for. Um, so I think, yeah, I can, you know, the, obviously we've, we've talked about January and things like that, and they are going to be important. But at the most basic level, you just want to see your team go out and try to win. And when they do, it's it's fantastic. <laughs> yes, one hundred percent. And just finally, then, what kind of challenge or how big is the challenge Eddie Howe has got to get Newcastle to safety? It was a brilliant win against Burnley, much needed. Newcastle now only three points out out of the danger zone, but it's still a massive task, isn't it? Oh well, yeah, it is. I mean, if you look back, only three other teams have gone. 14 games without a win at the start of the season in the Premier League and they all went down. Um, so that that puts it into perspective. But as Eddie Howe said on Friday, why not make history? Why not be the first? Somebody has to be the first to do it. Um, I think 
given the right investment in January, it, you would certainly have to say it's a possibility because the, the one thing you would say about Newcastle is they can score goals. If they can score more goals than they concede, they've got a real chance. They've got a real chance. But I mean that 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 is a is a big if. But it, I would be more concerned if they weren't scoring. Um, but they, they do need to find that balance, um, and I think January could be could be key in that. But you'd have to say, yeah. I mean, I've, I've got to be honest. Even before Saturday, I thought they had a chance of staying up. Had they not won on Saturday, I think that might have been a very slim chance. Um, but onwards and upwards, we shall uh, we shall see. Yeah, thankfully they did win. Damien, thank you for joining us on the Everything is Black and White podcast. To you guys listening, please remember to like and subscribe or follow, depending on which podcast provider you're listening through, and leave us a review if you get the chance as well. And head over to chroniclelive.co.uk where we'll keep you date with all the latest Newcastle United news and enjoy the rest of your week.